1: your presentation
0: Today, I'm speaking with makeup and hair designer Jan Sewell. Jan is responsible for helping Rami Malik transform into Freddie Mercury for the film Bohemian Rhapsody, Eddie Redman into Stephen Hawking for The Theory of Everything, and again helping Eddie transform from Aina into Lily in The Danish Girl. We chat about her start at the BBC, what helps her designing process when starting a project, and what lessons she has learnt coming up in our industry rolling and
1: action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast Jan. Oh hello yes I'm delighted I'm really happy to speak to you. Oh that's awesome. Now I would like you to finish
0: this sentence for me okay? Okay. Once upon a time there was a girl named Jan and when she grew up she wanted to be
1: an interior designer. Very nice. (laughs) Yes, I know. That's really what I wanted to be. (laughs) So as a young girl, how did you figure out that was kind of a job? I was always redecorating my bedroom, you know, all of that. I just loved all that. I didn't know about makeup, wasn't into makeup. And in fact, I mean, I have actually mentioned this before, but when I discovered makeup was when I was watching television Mm. many many years ago that had first time I'd ever seen anybody aged but it was a long long time ago on a TV show called I Claudius at the BBC and I just thought oh my god somebody does that for a job and I waited until the end and then I saw makeup and a name go up and it was on the BBC so I just thought well I'll just give them a call I didn't know that was a job so before then I always loved interiors I I loved redecorating my bedroom you know I I was it wasn't ever like soft fabrics like cushions or things like that it was always the painting or moving the furniture around and actually I still love doing that I you know I still like that but so makeup was not there's something I wanted to do from a young age, no. Wow. And so uh, what age did you see, see the show with the ageing on that you thought, oh, what's well, that? Because it was I, Claudius, and it had quite a few famous actors then, so – you know like we watched it as a family and it was like a whole trilogy and it was all about you know the Roman Empire and it was it was quite a big lush costume drama and lots of intrigue and murder so it was a great thing to watch but, but as the show went on all these characters started to age and I'm sure now if I watched it back you would think to yourself mm-hmm. you know because we've gone on so, so much you know that, that obviously it looks a little cruder that, than what we do now but it was absolutely amazing then and that's what made me you know there was nothing else that made me think because you know I like doing prosthetics Mm -hmm. I like doing makeup I like doing hair but I think it was the dramatic change that I thought was so brilliant and that's what we can do isn't it absolutely
0: so how do you make that happen so I'm guessing when you're seeing this are you in early like high school
1: or well no I I was working so I was but I was like late teens I would just left okay. school and mm-hmm. I, I was working at a, a architectural office because I was still trying to follow my let's be an interior designer yes. and I had a place at the London College of Furniture kept open for me but I couldn't get a grant so I was trying to make the money work and it wasn't mm. working and so I was talking to a work colleague and she just said, well, just give the BBC a call. And I thought, crumbs. And, and of course, then it was sort of easier. So I just called the switchboard and yeah. I said, can you put me through to the makeup department? And they went, yeah, OK. And I just <laughs> went straight through. And, nice. and I just said, <laughs> you know, do you, do you run courses? And they said, oh, yeah, we do. We run courses and then you get employed by the BBC. Uh, we haven't got one at the moment, but give us your name. And we'll send you out uh, a pack telling you mm-hmm. what we require. Which they did straight away. And I went off and I did a hairdressing course and, and and I think I did something else. And then two months later they wrote and said, We've got courses coming up. Would you like to apply? Yes. And although I was, there was 12 places available. And there was mm. still even then, and this is like 35 years ago, there was still even then 240 people applying. Mm. And I was one of the 12. So it's always been competitive, which is mm. interesting, isn't it? Because I certainly at school was never told that makeup was a job at all. And so, but anyway, so luckily... got got to the BBC and I stayed there for 15 years and it was the best training ground in the world. Yeah, I've heard that. That's pretty amazing. The tutor I had
0: in New Zealand when I did my makeup course was BBC Trained. Who was that?
1: Who was that? Midge Holding. I don't know if her surname had changed. I do. No, I do recognize that name. Yeah, so she may have been the same sort of generation as mine, but yes, Yeah. yeah. I think it's with training. I I don't
0: know. I'm a I'm a believer of getting that just that strong foundation to kind of
1: build off. I suppose. I think what was great about the BBC, which of course is really tricky now for for mm. trainees, is that I had a salary. I mean, it wasn't very much, but it was mm. a salary. So I didn't. And I didn't have to go and look for work. You know, you were allocated work. And sometimes mm. it was great. And sometimes, you know, you got shows you didn't want to do. But that's not a bad thing, you know, that mm. you should learn to work with different designers. You know, there were quite a lot of designers uh, at the BBC. And you worked with different ones. And you went from light entertainment to doing the news, going on to a bigger show. So, it, you know, it was there was no panic about, you know, paying bills so it meant and also it meant you could take your time which I think there's this sort of little bit of a rush at the moment where Mm. everybody you know is I know it's based around the fact that you know people want to earn money as well but it is that thing of there was no you couldn't make it go faster. You couldn't jump to the next, you know, there was a process of of how you you went up to become a designer and you just, you, you took the time it took. And I think that took lots of pressure off actually, which was good.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, at that point, too, you're getting to learn from all the people that you're working under. Which
1: is well, yes. And, and, you know, there were people that you thought, oh, I'm not sure. And then there were other people you thought were brilliant. And, and you know, then you learn how not to do it and you learn mm-hmm. how to do it. And, and I say that a lot to trainees because, you know, um, if you get a really good trainee, you want to hang on to them. And then sometimes you think, really, they've got to go and work with someone else. You know, they yeah. have to learn other things that I'm maybe not as good at or learn to deal with different types of people because that's that's a huge part of our job, isn't it, is how you work with people, how you, you know, different personalities. So I quite often, you know, when I do have gaps in between projects, it is always good then for the trainees to go off and find someone else. Absolutely. I think that's a positive way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you have to get them back yeah yeah <laughs> you're like come back <laughs>
0: yeah so throughout the BBC, so are, are you just doing
1: makeup at this point or are you doing some hair work as well well no everything that's what was so great at it because it was television mm-hmm. and and you know itv were doing the same they trained us in everything they trained us firstly in hair and makeup so that was great mm-hmm. and then it was up to us really if we wanted to get into doing the prosthetic side which I did because for me when I did start designing I think my first show that I actually designed myself was a situation comedy Mm -hmm. so you know it was just a two-hand very simple it was a lovely thing to start with I then went on and I was put into the light entertainment bracket which at the time I was sort of I enjoyed it and then I thought oh I'd quite like to do those big prestigious shows. But now, when I look back on it, of course, it was a better training ground because, you know, you would have a comedy sketch to do and they would want, Mm -hmm. you know, they would want to look like they're bald or they would Mm -hmm. want to look like they were old or funny lips or big mustache or, and of course, you know, those big prestigious theatre productions that the BBC used to do, you know, a lot of that would be straight makeup and, and not, Sort of much more than that. So in fact, it was the best thing, really. So it meant I went right across the board, and I was able to try things. And if they didn't quite work or they weren't a hundred percent in a sketch show, you know, mm. that it sort of didn't have that pressure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So at what point, like, did you get to designing in the BBC? Well, I, I
1: yeah, I actually designed quite early for the BBC, okay. and I think that was more about where I was you know like there was there'd been a small intake of people at one point I think that was around near my time so as I was coming up there was you know that we had more opportunity so I'd only been there six years which Mm. is quite quick for the BBC it was normally you know eight years so that was really that was nice so I, I was I'd been there about six years but I felt ready for it you know, because sometimes you don't and sometimes you do. And I did feel ready for it. So it was good. And I was also very lucky because when I did go on to the sketch shows, I did things like French and Saunders. And I don't know whether, you know that, it's a I French. absolutely know that, yeah. yeah. You know, I never know who does and who doesn't. But obviously that led on, because I got to know Jennifer Saunders very well, led on yeah. to me doing Absolutely Fabulous for 15 years, which oh, was... Oh, my goodness. I know, how fabulous wow. was that? Yeah. Absolutely fabulous, Jen. Absolutely, and it was it was was it was an awful thing, really, because it sort of, when I did eventually leave the BBC. I, mm. I continued to do Ab Fab afterwards. But it meant that I sort of stalled my career because I was getting asked to do films. Mm. But then if Jennifer rang up and said, oh, I've got another series, I would do, rather do her series. So there was a point when I had to go, I have got to do something else. <laughs> I can't just do Ab Fab, even though I would absolutely love to have done but
0: yeah you know. I
1: mean oh my goodness the fun you must have had wow oh, it was hilarious and it was always <laughs> it was always by the seat of your pants because what Jennifer does is she knows exactly what the whole series is she's got it all in her head she's got it all mapped out but she doesn't necessarily put it all down on paper right. so what we used to do and how they used to make situation comedies then was that you would go away and film for two weeks and you do all the outside stuff you needed for the whole series and then it would get slotted in but mm-hmm. you wouldn't know you wouldn't necessarily get the full script for episode 1 episode 2 episode 3 right. so quite often you would have a meeting and you'd say oh i see jennifer we're, we're you know you're running out of the house okay so we would do that on the outside recording mm-hmm. is, is anything i need to know is there something that's happened before and she'd go oh yeah yeah um, i forgot to tell you but the house has just burnt down and you <laughs> oh okay, burnt makeup then. <laughs> so you always use stuff to, to check.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So were you doing um the hair as well or
1: yep, yep, we yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, all of it. Oh, yeah, wow. hair and makeup. I know. I mean with a fabulous team, of course. But, yeah, yeah of course. I designed both. <laughs> that's, yeah.
0: That's so much fun. Yeah. I have to say that of course looking at that on your resume was impressive. But me being me and the comedy that I love, also I mean absolutely fabulous. Yeah. that loved it. But Bottom uh, drew my attention, <laughs> I have to say, because I, I just love Adrienne Edmondson and um, Rick Male. And Bottom,
1: it's just so wrong. It's right. I just, that well, must have been a blast, was it? How was that? Oh, it was. I did only one series. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I got it because, of course, Jennifer is married to Aid Edmondson. So, I, I did the show because of that. And yeah. it was so funny because you're right it's so wrong and I remember I mean my my son's grown up now but I remember thinking should I let him see what I'm working on or shouldn't I you know because it's all the I mean, yes, it's it's totally inappropriate. But again, the same thing, you know, like you would read in, you would laugh so much at the read through because yeah. they would do the actions and they'd be hitting each other with saucepans and frying pans and hanging people from the ceiling with sellotape, which of course would never happen, but of course it does. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it was, it was almost an extreme version of absolutely fabulous, yeah. but boy, humor, you know. <laughs> completely.
0: (laughs) I mean, I kind of graduated onto that from The Young Ones, of course. And I'm guessing my mother probably was like, should I even be letting her watch The Young Ones? But (laughs) it was just such, I mean, it's such silly wrong humor, but it's kind of harmless at
1: the same time because it's, you know. Yeah. But it was interesting because It has been on television, not recently, but I think probably Mm. about 18 months ago I think it did a run on uh, one of the cable channels and Mm. I watched it again and it is watchable. It is, Mm. you know, it is funny, but it Mm. is old-fashioned, you know, in in what their humour is, (laughs) but it is funny.
0: Absolutely. So how did you feel moving from your BBC world where you had your salary, you knew that that next job was – coming and
1: then moving out of that world into the unknown I suppose. Well it was scary absolutely because I, you know you can't say after 15 years you aren't slightly institutionalized because you are and you're right you know you're comfortable your pensions being paid you have sick benefit all of that but the BBC mm. was changing yeah. and it was the first round of redundancies and I was now at a point where I couldn't be told what shows I did and didn't want to do, and I remember thinking, "There's got to be more choice." You know what I mean? Mm. It's like I know there's a great show there. I know I know the producer, but he's not allowed to ask for me. Right. So this, they hadn't quite got around that. So mm. I thought, "I have got to. I've got to do this. I've got to make the move." So I so I asked for redundancy, and they said no initially. And then I, I went to the union, and I said, "You know." are you sure they can say no? And they said, no, they can't say no. So Mm -hmm. I did end up taking it. So of course I did have a buffer of a little bit of money. So that was good. Mm -hmm. And also I had already been asked by Dawn and Jennifer to do another series. So in fact, I already had work lined up. I just couldn't work back at the BBC for three months. So even though I was fretting, it was ridiculous because I had some money and I had a job, Mm -hmm. but it was, you're absolutely right. It was that the unknown of then going out and getting your own jobs. But surprisingly, of course, it, you just, because you work on what you've done before, then your producers yeah. and your directors will ask you, which is exactly what freelance is. It's the impression you make. And, and, and of course, work did continue to come in. So I was, you know, but it was, it was scary. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's good that you'd made all those relationships
1: before actually yeah. leaving as well.
0: And I... Also noticed you did Vicar of Dibley.
1: Yes, Jennifer. Of course, that was that's Dawn. Um, Dawn, yeah. (laughs) yeah. So that's what I mean. It's like you've already got your contacts, haven't you? So they would, and also I I worked with Dawn's husband, Lenny Henry. You Mm -hmm. know, her, her. You know, they're not married now, but so I worked with him. So of course it is. It's it's that small family which happens now. You know, lots of companies like Working Title, they'll quite often have a little group of you know crew members they love to work with. You know, and and. Of course that was exactly the same, you know. Because they would you'd be doing the show and then of course husbands would turn up or wives would turn up and and then they you'd end up working with them. So yeah, it's lovely.
0: That's awesome. So while you're coming up at the BBC and on from that has has there been like one piece of advice that has stuck with you that someone's given you
1: throughout that at the BBC I think what I probably did learn which is what I've kind of already said was that there was always something to learn because Mm because you didn't have a choice it didn't mean that that project wasn't there wasn't something to learn from it and I think Even now, you know, having done this job for quite a while now, you don't know it all. So, every job I learn something. There's always something to learn, and and even now, quite often I'll learn from a trainee because a Mm -hmm. trainee will come into a job with no preconceived ideas and will look at something in a completely different way. And I'll Mm -hmm. think, oh my god, I never thought of that. You know, so Mm -hmm. I do think because I didn't have the choice, the BBC always taught me that, you know, there is always, you know, even if you don't want to do it, there's always something you can learn.
0: Yeah. So what is something you have learned recently that excited you?
1: I think, oh, crumbs, very recently. I, I've done, oh, crumbs. I did a job where the actor was not that keen on wearing makeup. I mean, he's quite known for it. He doesn't really like makeup. But mm. in this case, he really had to have it. And They were very keen to try and recreate a particular look that we had done in extreme weather. But I knew there was no way to do it other than makeup. And I think what that taught me was the fact that you you absolutely try to achieve what the actor wanted and the director wanted, but always have a backup. And I had Mm -hmm. at least three backups of how I knew I was going to achieve this makeup. And we ended up having to use makeup because we couldn't recreate the same weather conditions in the studio so no. I always knew I mean that that is something I think you'll probably find a lot of designers have already said to you is that you don't have one backup you have two or three mm. because you need to give people options so I guess did already know it but it was mm-hmm. really lovely when you know it's confirmed yeah. that you know that's what you should be doing
0: absolutely that's awesome so Because you started designing quite early on in your career, what do you think makes a good head of department and designer?
1: Gosh, I like people. I do like people. I like people a lot. And I do think it's recognizing other people's skills because Mm -hmm. although it's fantastic to keep a team close to you that know how you work, sometimes you need a different skill level you know, sometimes you'll be doing a show that's hair heavy, so you'll need to have more, you know, skilled hairdressers, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's prosthetic heavy and very little hair and therefore you have to go towards people like that. So I guess it's recognising your team's skill level. I, I have to say as a designer I'm always a tiny bit selfish. I will always want to do the lead or the most interesting makeup. But that's that's about me, I guess wanting to push myself but also i think you have to recognize your team skill levels as well and i say you can't ask your team to do something you can't do i mean that's not true because we can't be great at everything but Mm. I do think you have to be realistic in what you're asking your team to do for you as well and and know because of their skill level I mean there are fantastic hairdressers I've worked with which I know all I have to do is say you know I really want this wig stripped down I want it permed here and I want it colored like this there and you know and I know that they can do it and -hmm. then so, you know, you're asking that person to do something that they already have a huge skill at, but I probably wouldn't be able to do it as well as yeah. them, you know. Yeah. So, so, I do think be realistic about what you're asking your team to do and also let them have an input 100%. Let them come with ideas to you and, you know, run with them for sure.
0: Yeah. I think it keeps people engaged and excited. Yeah. yeah, It keeps their confidence up too that the the boss wants to hear what they have to say. And
1: also I I think it's really important to, to let people know because everybody on the set knows that you haven't done everything. So when I do get a director who comes up to me and says, oh, that character looks fantastic. And I may have designed the look, but I won't have necessarily applied it and I would always Mm -hmm. say oh look you know so and so did that makeup either I'll pull them over so that they can thank them together you know straight to their face or I'll say I'll let you know I'll let them know that you you're you're very happy and I always do because I think that's important as well. Oh, yeah. I Jan, I have to
0: say, I love hearing that. That is so awesome. Because it's so often it'll just be, I did this and I did that. And it's like, well,
1: no. <laughs> well, no. And and also they know you haven't. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But they also know you're in charge. They know you've yeah. designed the makeup because you've had the conversation with them. You know, mm-hmm. you've sat down with your director before your team's even on board. It definitely takes a team. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so,
0: You started off, I mean, it's mainly television that the BBC were doing, right?
1: Or is there film mixed in as well? Well, uh, they did start to do film, actually. Yeah, because I I did, before I left the BBC, that's true. They used to start doing, uh, they used to call it a BBC film. And I, I, I remember working with, oh my gosh, what was it called? Oh my God, I did a film years and years ago called body double which was like a Mm -hmm. i think it was like a musical drama that that was yeah very ahead of its time that was a a bbc film and then i also did something called hour of the pig that was it and and again it was released as a film but made for by the bbc so I, i think i did three before i left the bbc
0: Okay, Because, I mean, now you
1: you mainly do film, right? Um, I do, yeah. I mean, I, I've never not wanted to do television. But having said that, the very last project I, I just completed before, I think we finished filming the end of uh, February, was actually for Netflix. It was, uh, it was George Clooney through his company, which called Smokehouse, but it was for mm. Netflix. So actually, that's the first time I'd worked for television. But it was run like a big film. Film. you know it yeah. was a film so again yeah. it's almost going back to that same you know a film for as opposed to a series or a television series
0: yeah yeah absolutely so I you have so many wonderful things on your resume Jen. but I just wanted to touch on a couple of things so the theory of everything what a fabulous mm. film now you've got quite a few things going on there because you've got You've got some period stuff going on. You've got some aging. You've got like recreating actual people. When you start something like that, how do you tackle trying to sort out a timeline, I suppose, <laughs> for characters development and um, something like that?
1: Well, it's funny because the timeline I always think is the most important thing. And, and mm-hmm. of course, the first character I had to tackle was Eddie's character as Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. and what I liked to because I knew what Eddie was going to look like as a young Stephen Hawking so you've got all your references and you've got all your pictures I also knew that we were only going up to the 90s we weren't taking him all the way up to I think it was 2014 isn't it that we did it 2013-14 so mm. I knew that we were just finishing at the 90s so I knew the end point he was in the wheelchair he was quite disabled at that point once I would got the job I did go to the director James Marsh and I just said and I I went to the line producer as well because of course it's a cost implication and Mm. I said I really really want to do a test very very early on on the very last look oh I'm so sorry on the very last look of what Eddie will look like because then we can work it out because if I've gone too far if he Mm. looks too old or too stable or maybe I haven't gone far enough for you I need to know that you're happy with the last look I know what his first look is you know it'll be a wig with a big floppy fringe you'll put some glasses on you know it won't be much more than that but once you've got your two looks then you can work your timeline out and that's exactly what we did so I quickly got his face cast and he uh, head shape taken, mouth cast. Christian Mallet was making the prosthetics for me. Chris Lyons was doing all the mouth pieces for me. And mm-hmm. we pulled together pretty quickly. I got Alex Rouse okay. making all the wigs. So nice. we did pull th- the look together pretty quickly in about three weeks. Okay. And we did a test and it ended up being a really big camera test which i hadn't expected but they did they put it properly on film and and actually there was we we did change the prosthetics a little bit we we Mm -hmm. moved them around a bit because eddie had been working very closely with a movement coach called alex reynolds and Mm -hmm. he'd been using his face quite a lot without the prosthetics on and there was a couple of pieces down near his mouth which he found was stopping him pulling a look that he wanted to do. So I got Christian just to remake a few of the pieces around his mouth, just to soften them off a bit and just move mm. them back a bit. And then we we did a second test and then he went, absolutely, that's it. Way more comfortable, and perfect. But we didn't really change the look that much. but. That, that is exactly what we did. So I think if you've got your first look and then mm-hmm. you know where you're going to finish up, then you've got your points in between. And i working closely with costume designer and production designer and watching where they, especially in, in um, production design, where they're doing their changes. Because we went across three different decades. So there were different changes in the decade look. Yeah. and then also the same with costumes, exactly.
0: Absolutely. So did you do the same type of thing with the
1: Danish girl? It was slightly different. What, what I do with Tom Hooper... And Eddie, is we decided because this was made by Working Title, mm-hmm. they decided that. And Working Title have got big offices in London, and we met up in one of their offices right at the top. And Tom just wanted to take photographs. So, what I pulled out was a whole bunch of wigs and mm-hmm. different colours and got them all set up in like the 30s hairstyle just mm. to see which color would suit Eddie. I mean, if you look at Eddie's coloring, you know that the, the reds are always going to look good. But, you, mm. but I wanted to see whether a dark wig would work or a blonde wig. And I wanted Tom also to see it. And in a strange way to let Tom and, and Eddie make the choice, even though yeah. I always knew I I always knew the colors that, that would suit him the most. And mm. strangely, he does actually look rather good in a black wig. So he, yeah. you know really dark dark brown wig but of course because of his coloring the, the the wig we ended up with the red wig was the one to go with but you you know and tom took loads and loads and loads of photographs and we were then able from that session to move on to doing a camera test with that particular wig that i found mm-hmm. and we were able to then put it on camera that then of course gets shown to the producers and and that gave us lily that gave us you know that look yeah. so and then of course again the timeline was made out in between
0: absolutely that's very cool i just i i yeah i love that film i love the journey that that character went on and
1: he- yeah it was i mean i thought it i thought it was lush and beautiful and you know the production design was brilliant and, and I thought it had a really lovely pace and, and I, I, I did think it was sensitively done as well yeah, it was. Uh, I enjoyed that film. I enjoyed that film, and of Absolutely. course, it was lovely watching because it was like when when you see you know Felicity Jones and Eddie working together because Eddie's so generous with his leading ladies, and you saw them in theory of everything. And it was the same mm-hmm. with him and Alicia Vikander. Mm-hmm. You know, it is wonderful watching those relationships. So, nice, and it's lovely working with Eddie. He's so brilliant.
0: Yeah, so working with him. And then meeting Alicia, working with her and then going on to Tomb Raider with her. So you guys get to like reinvent
1: a character and it's a super action driven film. So how is that to do? Well, that was brilliant. And of course, again, down to Alicia because she did request that I be interviewed. But they they were interviewing other designers as well. But, you know, thank Alicia for initially letting me meet Raw, the director. But yeah, we, we hit it off straight away. I did a big lookbook for him. I, I didn't necessarily do pictures of what I thought Alicia was going to look like because she was going to be this established character. You know, uh, that what I did have to do was give her a wig because her own hair wasn't long enough. So it was only about giving her more hair, really. But it was, it was about the color tones and the, you know, because although we, we knew we were going to South Africa to shoot it, it was supposed to be set, most of it, in sort of, you know, Hong Kong, Japan, all those. So all those color tones, um, all those yellows and aubergines and, you know, so that, that was what was nice about putting a lookbook together for him. I was yeah. concentrating more on the textures and the tones and you know we had jungles and you know so I don't necessarily just do pictures of faces and and, and again you know Roar and I got on very well he he liked what I showed him and, and, and then that was great as you say because I already knew Alicia so that was mm-hmm. lovely redoing that relationship and we actually were down in Cape Town for five months so it was a long oh, time wow. away but fantastic team you know she'd asked for the dresser that she'd um had before a a girl called sue casey who's lovely and Mm. and you know so it was all crew members i'd worked with before it was it was it was lovely it was a it was a really fun shoot actually i love it and i have to say having not been to south africa before i Mm. i thought cape town was beautiful utterly beautiful Yeah, yeah it is
0: heard absolutely amazing things about the place I was just wanted to go back to the the book that you put together for the director now
1: is that something that you like to do for each film I do yes I mean mm-hmm. I do it initially to obviously try and get the film because you know mm-hmm. there are going to be other people um, that are being asked to interview so I do like to put images together i do sometimes do it on computers because when i did theory of everything actually i presented all my images and all the looks and the the journey i actually did it on my computer but sometimes i like to do a physical book Mm -hmm. and i get a little one of those great big a3 books that you can get and 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 i just depending on what the project is it's just loads of tears or images or you know color tones as I say or textures and I use that book because I flip back on it and in fact Mm. we did I developed that book because as more characters came in I would continue to to put more tears in more images and and show it and and in fact the book quite often gets shown to the studios so that they're happy with it as well and and that's what happened with that particular Tomb Raider book because I constantly went back on the images I pulled for the new characters as well so it's a lovely and if you get and also it's a good thing to have when your crew start to join because then they can very quickly see your ideas and your Mm. because the other thing I do and i do for that film and i i also did for the film everest i had special palettes made up i went to you know to the illustrator palettes to ppi yeah. and i put all my color tones that i wanted in a palette and especially out in cape town because they can't get all the products quite so easily mm. and i wanted to make sure that that only the colors I wanted in the film were being used. So I had PPI make me 20 of these palettes and I just handed them out to all the, the local makeup artists who were brilliant, by the way. They were all fantastic. Oh, so, yeah. And they all were then not scrabbling around trying to get bits of their makeup. You know what I mean? They I they knew the colors. They were all in there. They were the aubergines and the plums and the mustards and the, all those Kind of colours, you know, nicotine, yeah. tobaccoy colours, and they all had their own palette, which, which was made especially for the film. That's brilliant.
0: I'm sure, as a as a team member coming in as well, you know, just to be able to flick through the book and get yeah. palettes like that, it's kind of like, okay, okay I know what we're up, what we're
1: doing. Well, it, I, I think it helps because sometimes. When you try and describe a makeup or a look, mm. it's some people will hear you say one thing and someone else will hear you say something else. And it's only about interpretation. But yeah. if, you know, if they've got images, if they can see what I'm going for, the level of dirt, the layering of dirt, because that was the thing about. Tomb Raider and I mm. did put some pictures up recently on my Instagram of some of the the layerings of dirt that I did on Alicia because also she had cuts and bruises which were mm. transfers because they were from continuity wise the best mm. thing and also because they stayed on you know so, so it was being able to show the you know it was always about the layering of you know this color first then that color then break it down then add that color and then the sweat on top and the you know Mm -hmm. so I think it makes such I I like to see that on camera
0: absolutely I think there's it's it's so funny I think when some people kind of start in the makeup world and they're like oh I just have to make somebody dirty and it's like no there's an art to it it's not
1: (laughs) yeah I think (laughs) it's not difficult yeah to get
0: those layers and to get it into those the creases of the skin and like it's yeah I I really appreciate a good breakdown.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it, well, that's it. And it's also, you know, you'll say to them, where do you get dirty? You get dirty, like on your wrists, because your hands, you know, your hands get washed and sometimes your wrists. And it's like on your elbows and in the creases. And you think about, where you do get dirty and why you get dirty there you know mm. and sweat and it is I think it's a science I think dirtying up is really difficult yeah
0: and it's I mean going back to to just why I think showing somebody visual aid is I think because we're just visual artists aren't we we, we need to be yes. able to see see what what's going on so that's awesome I love that idea
1: And do you keep your books to hold on to? I do. I do. I mean, sometimes studios want them because Mm -hmm. technically they belong to them, you know, because you've done it for the, you know, for the project. Mm -hmm. But usually I do keep them. But I don't, you know, I don't do anything with them. I mean, And I certainly don't, as we all know, when we sign our NDAs, that I I, I don't show them or, or put them out on social media until the film's completely done, you know, released and, out, yeah. and all of it's come out. And even then, cause I remember when I did Everest, I, mm-hmm. I asked, uh, working title if they minded if I put a couple of pictures up and one of them I wanted to put up was of Josh Brolin and but the film had been out and all the chat had been done and and they said well you should ask Josh Brolin so I sent him an email and he said no totally cool with that off you go so I do (laughs) think you have to be respectful of that as well yeah
0: absolutely I think there's one of my pet peeves on social media is seeing people put up continuity photos
1: well you're not yes I know I mean and I'm like oh like to
0: me I guess being in the industry it's obvious to me that that's a continuity photo that's not a professional photo that's been taken or whatever whatever but yeah. it, it almost I'm always curious whether they actually have Permission. Yeah, the permission because, I mean, that cast member has had that photo taken purely trusting that you are taking it for continuity purposes and that's where it ends.
1: So it's always interesting to me to see Yeah. I mean, and and, and you're right because normally, as we know, when the the store's photographer is there, all those photographs are passed by the actor and they Mm. will put crosses through ones they don't want to be released. So, I mean, you know, they normally have that written in their contract. But I usually usually do check it out. I, I usually contact and find out if they're fine with these pictures going up. So, that's why I don't really have that many, actually. Yeah.
0: No, it makes it makes sense. So, when you're getting ready for a job and you're putting that book together, and like, what are some of your go-to sources for research and inspiration?
1: Well, I mean, like everybody, I'll go online i'll go to the internet and you you start pulling photos or, or images especially if you're doing a character that that's already you know you know somebody who existed and and you know most definitely when i did bohemian rhapsody there was so much stuff out yeah. um so much you know them doing their concerts and so i got I got a lot, but also you're getting the same stuff all the time. So I don't think you can just rely on the internet. I don't think you can Mm. just sit down and Google things. I do definitely think that, that, you know, we're very lucky in London. We have wonderful portrait gallery. I mean, I do think you need to get to those places, especially if you're doing a period drama. Um, You should get your books out. You know, there there are so many books and and I do – we'll try and source books and and buy them on Amazon and get them delivered. So I do think you're, you know, you do have to do more than just sit on the internet. And then, of course, the other thing is, is, uh, as we know, hair and makeup, we do often start way after production design, usually mm. after costume. And there's already a wealth of images and, and referencing that they've already got. And they've already started, you know, they're building the sets. So I, I go straight to the production designer. And you need to know their color palette as well. Yeah. So I think that makes such a difference. And also... The director, especially if the director has been working on a project for a long time, they will have access. They would have spoken to friends or colleagues and got pictures that you'll never find anywhere because they are private pictures. And mm. I I know when I started the the um, theory, we had a lot of private. Pictures that had been given to us by uh, Stephen Hawkins' uh, family, like his yeah. his daughter, mm-hmm. and a lot of those pictures were, were family holiday snaps that yeah. were not necessarily, you know, anywhere.
0: That's amazing.
1: I um, had something similar,
0: but it's not as um, inspiring. I don't think it's kind of more creepy. But I did a um, film. Where we were recreating Ted Bundy, the serial killer, oh, gosh. Um, and his one of his longtime girlfriends was you know the, the director had been speaking with her and she handed over like some copies of images that you know no one had seen and it was just just kind of freaked me out yeah. I was like oh this is so creepy it looks so unhappy, cool and happy and <laughs> just as weird but yeah it's it's it is you, you do get to see things that not everyone gets to see sometimes whether it's photos like that or you go to locations that aren't yeah. available to The public and it's it's pretty amazing
1: well well it's things like i mean as you know if you're if you're being asked to recreate you know a a murder scene or someone's been shot in the head you have to actually look at that picture so we Mm. also have forensic books don't we Mm. and i know i'm terrible because what i'll do is i'll go to the back and i'll look up Uh, headshot gunshot wound Mm -hmm. and I think oh god here we go and I'll go to page 169 or whatever it is and I'll find that page and then I'll open it and close it and open it and close it until I can actually cope with looking at the picture of somebody with their head blown off and and then I'll look at it as a makeup and not as a person I think that's probably the safest thing to do yes exactly so (laughs) it is tricky isn't it it is hard to, to look at some of those referencing sometimes for sure
0: Absolutely. So going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, that must have been pretty
1: incredible. Were you a Queen fan to start with? Well, I I, I liked some of their music, but I didn't like all of it until, oh, yeah. of course, I started working on it. Yeah. And now, of course, I realise how brilliant and clever <laughs> and how amazing Freddie Mercury's voice was. And I knew all the, the, the obvious ones, you know, I knew all the big hits, but there were so many of them that I didn't mm-hmm. know at yeah. all. And now, of course, I think they're utterly brilliant of course but oh god I mean that was unbelievable I mean and I was so lucky because that was literally handed to me on a plate because Mm. when I was doing Tomb Raider it was the same producer who just as we were coming towards um, Graham King just as we were coming towards the finishing Tomb Raider in South Africa and we were about to come back to London to finish the shooting in London and he was so happy one day and he'd just been given his green light on Bohemian Rhapsody And he just said, you know, do you want to do it? And I didn't think he was serious at all. And I went, yeah, 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 I'd love to. And then didn't think about it. And then about three weeks later, he said, well, do you want to do it or not? And I just, I mean, mean, how brilliant is that? That's
0: very cool. I mean, did you, I imagine you would have just have be a bundle of nerves at some point just knowing that did you feel like the world was going to be
1: watching well do you know what is sort of silly and naive really is I didn't <laughs> realize how huge Queen were right <laughs> <Why? laughs> that's probably um, a good thing <laughs> yeah, it probably was as I say I knew them and I knew their hit songs I didn't know mm-hmm. and and it was so funny actually because when we were talking earlier on my phone rang I'm sure you heard that and it was actually Mark Coulier ringing me because <laughs> what I what I didn't realize is that when I approached Mark to make the prosthetics for me, he mm. had been a Queen fan since he was, I don't know, I don't know how young you have to be, but he actually <laughs> belonged to the fan club. Wow. So when I said, Would you, you know, come along um, and do this? Oh my God. And <laughs> one of the best images in my head was our first day of shooting when we were recreating Live Aid and we had, you know, Brian That was your May first day of shooting? Sorry. First day of shooting. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. It's better to jump in the deep end. It absolutely, absolutely. is. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a picture of Mark sitting on the, by the monitors with... Brian May next to him. Honestly, he was like a kid in a sweetie shop. You know what I mean? Oh, the it was like, like oh, best picture ever. Best. But but yes, I think I think I realised as we went along how important it was. But you know, you know the the, uh, the teeth were a, a main thing, and I, I'm sure some people thought I did maybe go a little far with those, but I really didn't go as far as Freddie's real teeth. So. I don't know. That, that's, yeah, I think you know, it's, it's
0: good. I mean, I'm sure you did testing
1: and everything to oh, find so that sweet many, spot. So many, so yeah. many tests. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many things involved. It's just like, I mean, Rami needs to be comfortable and be able to perform and everything with what he's wearing. But also, you know, you've got so many different people having their say on what they feel it should look like. And yeah, so I think you find well, that... Sweet spot that makes everybody happy, right?
1: Exactly, and and you know, I mean, I I know I I've said it before, but we did genuinely get twenty sets of teeth made, and they really were changing one millimeter up, one millimeter back, because people were scared. Of course, they Mm. were, and nobody wants. and, And on camera, things look. You know, things get exaggerated anyway. So, you know, it was important that, that that we went back and went smaller and didn't make them quite so because Freddie Mercury's teeth were quite irregular and especially mm-hmm. his bottom teeth, they crossed over quite a lot. And we didn't do any of that because it wasn't about making – rami look it, it wasn't it's not about looky likey it's about mm. an essence of somebody and you yeah. look at the important bits you know mm. you look at the fact that obviously you know for live aid he had a mustache he had to get that right he had you do see his teeth you know he had dark hair so you know rami had wigs all the way through obviously mm. yeah it's a, it's getting the essence of a character just yeah,
0: getting a bit of that silhouette and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say I worked with Rami just for like a two days on this ah. little shoot that I did with him. And I was the first person to put a full wig and beard on him. <laughs> oh, my God. What was that for? What did you do? It was Buster's Mall Heart, but I only did two days shoot down in Mexico and I didn't do the rest of the film. So he had like this long, it's like an independent film. And they, he just had this long, scruffy uh. wig on and this long, scruffy beard. And he'd never had either put on before. And I could not believe how amazing he was is he just <laughs> like, the
1: loveliest man I couldn't isn't believe he? it
0: I was just like do you not have nerve endings like how are you not because I, I had just you know I prepared him for some people find you know facial hair can be quite itchy and irritating so you know just let me know how you're feeling and how it goes and all that type of stuff and he was you know spending the day sitting in a rowboat with oh. this full beard and wig on and I'd just be like how's it how's it going he's like it's fine it feels great and I was just like oh, I'm sorry what <laughs> oh well well
1: done to you did you oh, not like- have to go in and stick it back on or or check it or no I needed
0: to check it and just you know touch up little bits and pieces and stuff neither of them were made for him so it was that tricky right. dealing yeah. with that yeah. but just the fact that he was comfortable in it was just like, oh my god, you're a dream. Just- oh no, he
1: is. Yeah, he <laughs> and he will sit for you. He's not very good at sitting still, but he will mm-hmm. sit for you for as long as it takes. Because when you say I'm happy and he mm-hmm. looks and he's happy, he wants it just to be perfect, doesn't he? So mm-hmm. you know, no, he's oh, he's delightful. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll have to tell him that I spoke to you because so um, I do keep in touch with him because he's so lovely.
0: Yeah, so I will. Awesome, true professional.
1: Oh, completely, yeah. <laughs> now,
0: you've done so many different types of projects and things, but I'm wondering if there's something you haven't done yet that you would like to tackle. Oh, crumbs.
1: Do you know what? Because <laughs> I've done period, so and mm-hmm. I, I do like that because you get to do fab hair and yeah. all of that, and I do like a wig. I don't think I've done like a real action movie. I know Tomb Raider was quite action-y, mm-hmm. you know, because – but I think I quite – I don't know. I think I would quite like to do – the thing is about action movies is you know it's going to be full of stunts and second unit. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much that bit I want to do. I think it's about the filmmaking. I tell you what I love more than anything is being on a film set. I love watching – everybody come together with their little individual bit of skill that makes Mm -hmm. this the massive, you know, machine that works. And I do love it when you see these amazing big cameras and the big rigs and, you know, all the things that the stunt people do when they've rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and Mm. they've got people on wires. And I just... I love all that. I mean, I have, of course, you know, Wonder Woman, I have seen all that wire work mm-hmm. and, and the extent to it. But there is something about being on a set where everybody's skill needs to be perfect to make that moment. That's Mark Cooley again. <laughs> um, so it is about everybody coming together that I think I love the most about it all. So I think yeah. another big you know, a real big action movie, I think, would be quite cool.
0: Yeah. It's always very impressive when it's just like, they're going to do what with that
1: car? It's yeah, going exactly. to Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. Gonna... And, I mean, and if, if I was just to talk about makeup, I don't know. I think, I, I think I've done quite a lot. I mean, like, I do – I loved – I did love – doing Everest, because that was uh, another big thing that that was, you know, was a big action thing. And we did helicopter all the way up to, to just under base camp. So I did, I did enjoy that, I guess. So I have done it. Why am I saying that's what I want to do? I have done it. I've, I don't know. Maybe I've done maybe I've done most things. I don't know. Maybe I have done most things. <laughs> that's awesome. So how challenging was that going up in the up in it the was mountains? Physically, it was physically really challenging. I yeah. thought I was fit and I realised I really wasn't wasn't as fit as I thought I was. It's a different
0: um, type of fitness, really,
1: isn't it, it? It is. And it it's the, you know, the lack of oxygen is the thing that you don't know how you're going to react until you experience it. And I did get altitude sickness twice where you I was physically ill oh, uh, wow. but then it but then it was over with you know you just get this blinding headache and you just feel very mm. nauseous yeah. and then you're fine but it is strange the lack of air there was the highest location we went to you just had to move really slowly and that was mm. it. Everybody just moved very slowly. You wow. didn't exert yourself. You had to drink tons of water. What were the temperatures like when you were there? Cold. They were very yeah. cold. But it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because it's a dry. It's not. Strangely, it's it, it's not wet up there. It's a very dry, mm. Mm. cold. It didn't feel uncomfortable it was just cold you just had to be wrapped up
0: yeah did yeah. that did you have any challenges with your products yes
1: freezing of course yeah. everything freezing uh, you would walk into your makeup room and everything was frozen so mm-hmm. I mean certainly anything that you you would take home I mean it's like you would never be able to take like prosade up there because the mm. water content would freeze and then it would ruin the the product So you just had to make sure that there were were definitely things that you took back with you and you kept them warm. But having said that, going back to our lodges, there was no Mm. heating at all. So, wow. yeah. So, you know, there, there weren't many places you could keep anything from freezing. I know. <laughs> it's
0: Jane with her pros and her sleeping bag. Know, yeah.
1: <laughs> that and two layers of clothes, you know. I slept with the clothes I was going to wear the next day because I didn't want them frozen when I put them on. I no, mean, that's really a good idea. I desperately yep. cold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing.
0: So, coming up through your career thus far what what do you think are some
1: valuable lessons that you've learned I think, I think I've kind of touched on them a little bit I think okay. it's that thing of you know the lessons are is that you are as good as your team that, mm-hmm. that it is collaborative I mean also I think you have to also realize it is just a film as well yeah. so there are moments when you have to let go mm-hmm. you really have to let go and you have to let things go also the you always are learning you absolutely are always learning there's always you think i don't think anybody thinks they know it all but but i do think there is always a lesson to be learned on every job or a different way of doing things on a different job so it's about just being open minded and and as i say collaborative and of course because you know our job is working with actors and they come and they bring their dynamic so it's always going to be different anyway Mm. and that's what I relish because I even you know you know some actors are fabulous and we've certainly talked about Rami and Eddie and 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 other actors you know can be a little bit you know not difficult they just will be less into makeup so you have to find another way of doing it Mm. Uh, and and I and I think all those bring you know the different way you would approach how you apply your job, how you do your job. And sometimes your job is not about the makeup. It's about supporting that actor, you know, emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I think just, you know, always, always something to learn, always.
0: That's amazing. So having had such an incredibly, I guess, rewarding career so far, when you look back to that young girl who was watching TV and saw the ageing and thought about being a makeup artist,
1: Is it what you envisioned? Oh, much, much more. Much, (laughs) much more. I I didn't realize. I mean, it is all consuming, isn't it? Mm. I I do love. I mean, they say there are people that work to live and then there's people who live to work. I absolutely think I've been so lucky. I've seen so many things. I mean, again, we talked about, you know, when we talked about referencing things. I mean, I've gone into locations that I would never be able mm. to get into i mean there was one film i did many years ago which was in morocco and we got to go into the king's harem i mean they weren't there at the time because he has many palaces and mm-hmm. we were given permission to film in the palace in morocco while he was somewhere else but when would you ever wow. be able to get into the harem of the king of of, of morocco you wouldn't <laughs> That's amazing. you know so it's it's so much more than i thought it would be because it's i feel it's a bit of a lifestyle as well you know
0: i mean it's always a bit of an Adventure, isn't it and you're going with different people each time and yeah it's yes amazing. can I apologize for all the phone calls and talk to Mark about that
1: yes exactly <laughs> uh, that was someone else yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, totally fine. yeah
0: so I wanted to know Jan if you had your whole setup in the trailer ready to go but I took away one tool or product from you what what would freak you out if I took it away from you
1: what would you not want to be without Oh, my brushes! Oh, I love my brushes. <laughs> I'm not a finger person. I know lots yeah. of people do do use their hands, and, and you know that's just a different way of doing it. But I love my brushes. I, I I spend a lot of money on my brushes. I look after my brushes. I feel it helps me. I think you know, from the fine fan brushes to the the beautiful japanese brushes i mean there's some fantastic makes out there i yeah. love i mean i have on more than one occasion had an actor say to me that they feel like i'm painting them that i'm you know that they're the canvas and wow. i do feel like that i i feel like that you know my little fine brush if I, you know put a little prosthetic on and i'm just flicking around with a little bit of you know illustrator just flicking on or getting Mm. a little fine brush and doing a couple of little dots just to cover a line that I think just needs breaking up I don't see how you do that without your brushes yeah Mm -hmm. my brushes are like yeah well you're an artist I'd like to think we are aren't we yeah oh I think so yeah (laughs) and who would you like to hear on the podcast well, that man that keeps ringing. I think you should try <laughs> and speak to Mark Coulier. I think I he is. To. Yeah, I, I think he's super talented, totally collaborative, and that's mm-hmm. the other thing. It's collaboration, isn't it? Yeah. And bounce ideas off. And he's uh, yeah, he's just, he's just one of the cleverest people. And I think if and he will talk and talk and talk and tell you and give you all the ideas. I mean, yeah, if you can get Mark <laughs> Coulier, I think that'd be really cool
0: that's awesome well thank you so much Jan this has been so awesome speaking
1: to you oh well, it's been absolutely lovely I mean just lovely because you know we love talking about what we do don't we so and thank you for your stories I loved hearing your stories oh, has anybody interviewed
0: that. you yet you should
1: do no, that I don't think
0: maybe, maybe the very last episode that can yes. maybe that can happen <laughs> yes <laughs> I Excellent. have had a couple of people put their hand up to be like can I be the one that does it <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool at least you but can yeah. choose <laughs> yeah thank you so much see more about our guests go to our instagram at the last looks podcast or our website the if you want to keep up with new episodes being released be sure to subscribe through apple podcasts spotify amazon google play youtube or any podcast streaming platform and remember if you're enjoying the show share it the last looks podcast would like to thank brett stanley and sabrina castro the song fun time by dj quads Thanks for listening. Until next time.
1: That's a wrap, people.